Okay, everyone, we have another really good podcast today. Tiffany Cromwell from Canyon Shram joins us. Jens, what a interesting career, starting out on the road, now dabbling a little bit in gravel, a lot of different back and forth from, from discipline to discipline. What are you excited about talking to Tiffany about today? Well, more or less everything, like her past. When did she ever come to Europe? How was it for her to leave the home continent for the first time? What's her future plan? So I think it's got to be really interesting for everyone to listen. Yeah, I've known Tiffany, Tiffany a long time. I got to discuss and speak with her at the Steamboat Gravel event a couple of weeks ago and just had to have her on the podcast. So sit back and relax and enjoy our conversation with Tiffany Cromwell today on Bobby and Jens. Welcome Tiffany Cromwell to Bobby and Jens. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you know, we've known each other a long time and, you know, back from the old Monaco, Nice, Cote d'Azur days, but you've been quite busy as of late. And right before the, the podcast started or we pushed record, you mentioned my nice blue hat here, um, Steamboat Gravel. Let's talk about that because that was a really cool event. You were there. That's where I was able to talk you into coming on the podcast. So yeah, maybe talk us through like your build up to Steamboat Gravel, Steamboat Gravel, and then what you've been doing since and where you are now. Yeah, so obviously SBT, it's a it's a great event. I, I've actually done every edition, I think, except for the COVID virtual one. Um, so in more recent years, I've kind of taken off the whole both doing road and gravel. Um, it was something that my team boss kind of thought it was a good idea and something I've embraced. And SBT has always been one of the one of the gravel races on the calendar. Um, before that. I'd actually had a training block because I'd just done a stint of road with Tour de Suisse and Giro and then it was just training. We went out to Aspen for like 10 days and then, yeah, I went to SBT for, for SBT Gravel. Like in an ideal world, I would have loved to do the blue one because it's a much nicer distance, but I chose to challenge myself with the black, the 142 miles and because, you know, I want to race against the best girls and be, yeah, be fighting for the top accolades there. So when we talk in gravel, you do like the longer distances or you do, nah, 50 miles should no. be enough for me or which distance would you then choose if you could? The 100 mile. I'm I'm full campaigning to say we need to make gravel races shorter because what we see now is the UCI have come in and doing their stuff, which obviously ruffled some feathers, but at least their race distances are a nice are a nice um, distance, whereas US, you know, they came in and they wanted to do like super long. That's what it's about. And, you know, like obviously the pinnacle race is unbound, which is 200 mile, which, you know, even for you guys is a ridiculously long distance. And yeah, I'm just, I think my attention span is too short for, for wanting to race that long. But, you know, that's, that's one side of gravel. I'm so stoked that you say that because I'm getting older. I don't really feel the need to spend more than three to five hours on my bicycle. Um, I've been talked into doing a few ultra endurance events lately. And I'm just like, you know, for me, it's all about completion, not competition. 
And man, it just seems like these gravel races, if we want to make them more inclusive to people, that they need to be a little bit shorter. And a lot of these events do have the shorter event. Um, SBT had the, the green course, the red course, the blue course, and then, of course, the long one was the black course. And as you see, I did the 100 miler. I have the blue hat. But coming across the finish line, I finished with uh, my buddy, Robin Thurston, who um, I grew up racing with in, in Colorado. And there was a lady after the finish line handing out hats. And I looked at the two hats and I said, um, can I have the black one? She goes and she looks at my number and says, did you do the black one? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought they were just like color coordinated. I I, I preferred black over the blue. So I, I felt like such a nunce asking for the black hat when I only did the, the blue course. But I, I totally agree. I don't know why this has to be so long because the spirit of gravel, and I'm a cat six gravel rider. I, I thought I was a cat five, but I've lowered myself to, to cat six. And what I've noticed is that Everyone wants to have fun, but some people that are competing instead of just trying to complete, they can't go and party and hang out and have fun after the race because they're like curled up in a ball cramping after the finish compared to someone like myself that is just like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's go have that beer or that burrito or talk to those people. Um, what do we have to do to get that across to more more races or are we going to see more and more that tiered um distance for people that that want to participate in gravel events um it's i feel like gravel's at a crossroad right now you know because i came into and was introduced to it as it was still let's call it a bit fun but was starting to get a bit serious versus the last two three years you've seen now you get gravel privateers people getting good funding for brands it's really important to have top athletes racing on gravel but yeah, as you say, the pinnacle event is normally this crazy long one. I think there is a space for the crazy long because there are people who enjoy these ultra endurance challenges, but it shouldn't be the the key event. Like, you know, even with SBT, their numbers, the most participation was the blue course, not the black course. So people do want shorter. And I think we just need to get certain events to just create that change and to say, OK, we can still have the longest course, but that's not going to be our blue ribbon event. A Blue Ribbon event could be like the 100 mile, but still have those shorter races for, you know, people that are just getting introduced to cycling, into gravel and just want to have fun. And because that's the inclusive part about it. And like you say, like you can race hard, but you can still feel human at the end of a 100 mile. But after 140, you know, you you can barely walk and all you want to do is just sit and, you know, cool up into a ball, as you say, and lay in bed for the rest of the day and then the next two days after that. So. I don't know. I think we just need to get some bigger voices to start campaigning to say, all right, let's make racing hard, fun, but shorter. Um, well, you say now that um, gravel racing becomes more, more serious, um, more challenging. Um, you come from the road like Bobby and me. How big of a difference was it that when you have a puncture at a gravel race, you cannot just raise your arm and stop on a roadside? There's no team cars, right? For our viewers, they don't know. Gravel is self-supported. You got to bring everything you think you need with yourself on your bike or your backpack, right? How big of a change was that for you going into the first gravel events, uh, whatever, some year back? 
Yeah, it's obviously you need to be a lot more self-sufficient, even from the planning stage. Like I don't come with a humongous team supporting me. I'm there quite often by myself or just with my boyfriend. And okay, I'm fortunate to have some of our team partners like Canyon Shram with people helping me like prepare. But yeah, in the race, it's like, oh, okay, do I really need to carry a spare? Do I really need to carry a CO2? Even with water, like, or liquid, you know, it's like, do you take a camel bag? Do you not? Do you stop? And all this is part of the tactical strategy you need to play in your race. So it's not like you're playing the road game where you're like, okay, what's that team doing and that team doing? You're playing the tactics like, okay, where am I going to have my stops? I'm going to keep going. I'm with a group, but do I want to lose them? Like, there's all of these games you have to play. And I was still very roady in the early years. Like, I just winged it and hoped for the best and said, okay, I trust my equipment and hope I won't get a flat. And knock on wood, actually, I've had a very good run. I'm probably going to jinx myself now. But um, that side, yeah, it, it is hard to get your head around, especially, you know, when you want to be have your equipment as light as possible and not have extra weight and, and also not have to deal with changing a puncture. But these days, you know, obviously with tubeless and you have um, the things you can stick in the tyre to block a puncture. So you can do it quite quickly, but... I also need an education on how to do it properly, <laughs> you know, because I've been spoiled as well, like racing road my whole career and having people to do it for me. Well, talking about race strategy, you ladies were definitely riding hard. Um, the winner, Sofia Gomez Villafan, went just under seven hours. You were just like a minute or so behind. Flavia was not that far behind you. Alexis, not far behind you. Paige Onweiler, same thing. And special shout out to Heather Jackson, who is a Bobby and Yen's alumni finishing sixth. But you weren't riding as a group because obviously there was separation. So what does it come down to, to, you know, compared to the road where you kind of stay in the pack as much as possible and then maybe right at the end. How did the race actually pan out where you ladies were staggered, uh, basically doing individual time trials there at the end? Yeah, well, basically, this is the other thing which is unique to gravel and especially in the US. Like we are starting to see separation now, but the whole thing when gravel style is everybody's equal. Men and women race together. They race the same distances, equal opportunities which is both good and bad, in my opinion. Good because, you know, it lets us challenge ourselves against the men and we get to, you know, yeah, see how far we can go. The downside is you're not really playing a tactical race within the women's race. It's more a game of last one standing and you know how important it is to find the right group with the right group of men to keep your speed because if you're by yourself, then you have, you know, it's like a race within a race. And early on we had the separation with Sophia and Alexis. They were further ahead. But then there was like a group of five of us, which was – quite nice actually like because we had five all in the running for that third place so we were all kind of watching each other but we're still in a big group of like 15 20 riders um and then it was just bit by bit it was just a game of attrition like people as you know the last part of the black course which is we call it the lollipop it's like softer gravel and more climbing and just people started you know getting dropped because of you know just getting tired and um yeah then it became me and Flavia together then we almost caught back up to Sophia. And then at that point, Alexis just dropped off us. We were within 10 seconds. But yeah, it's just as the day went on, you just get less and less people. You start with maybe 100 or well, on the start line, 1,000 people, then like a group of 30 or 40. And then it's like 15, 10. And then, yeah, then it was just me and Flavia for a while. And then she finally dropped on the last climb. And then it was me. And obviously, Sophia was just ahead of us. So yeah, it's funny how the race goes. Like you have 
different people throughout the race and then you lose them sometimes they come back like Flavia came back to me a few times I got dropped from her I'll come back to her and but yeah but with that racing it's very much because dictate a lot of how the men are racing or the people who you end up with in your group so uh, I have only one time experience I did um, the 200 mile unbound once many many years ago um, but now question for you Tiffany Uh, you talked about the race, how the girls were coming back and you dropped them, then they dropped you, you come back. Let's say 30 miles ago is the last stop. You could drive past the stop and take the lead, but not taking food and bottles. Or you're not getting the lead, but get food and water. What would you do? What's more important? I always go past. The lead? I can talk from experience. You would. You would, take, you would go all in? I, I go past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think because notoriously I can be a bit of a camel, so I know probably I'm losing a tiny bit of performance if I run out of water, but I'm more that if I know a chance to get rid of the other girls, they're stopping, I'll take it and I'll just keep going and take the lead and try hope for the best. <laughs> Good answer. I like your spirit. <laughs> See, that's the difference between <laughs> The coach and Bobby competing. is like just rolling his <laughs> <Yeah>. eyes. <laughs> well, because you know, because Bobby was quizzing me before the race what my nutrition was and I was like, this, that, whatever. He's like, oh, is that all? Oh, that's not enough. Oh. I'm like, oh, I'll try. <laughs> I, I, I am a sponge for that sort of stuff because I'm just trying to learn. But talking about learning something new. So I was at the podium ceremony when Paige, Alexis, Flavia, yourself, and Sophia were receiving your awards. And of course, uh, Sophia gets a bottle of champagne And she opens it and you whispered something in her ear that all of a sudden she slams the champagne down on the podium step and that cork went a mile. I mean, I caught it like I have it and I gave it to our, our um, social me media guy and it like the best flow of champagne that I've ever seen, but I've never seen anybody slam a bottle of champagne down on the podium and do that before. Where did you learn that? So you obviously don't watch motorsport or Formula One. <laughs> It's saying that they always do at the podium. So I was like, ah, just tap it down. Because there was the one recently where it happened and when the trophies got broken because of that trick. But it's a good one to get the champagne okay. going. Okay. Oh, it got going, girl. That that was pretty impressive. So I I did watch the, the Netflix series. I don't watch the live stuff, so I must have missed that. But anyway... I think many more people are going to do that because that, that was great. We'll call that the Tiffany Cromwell effect. <laughs> I'll claim it. So, uh, Tiffany, um, you at your last year with uh, SRAM, contract, it says it goes until 2023. More gravel racing for you coming up um, next year or you don't know yet or anything you want to share with us? Yeah, well, actually, I guess I don't, it never really gets announced publicly, I guess, my renewals, but it's still 24. Um, so I'm still with Canyon Trap until then. So for next year, the goal is to still do road and gravel and mix. Obviously, it's a Paris Olympic year. And I finally made the Tokyo team for Australia, which every, anybody who knows certain countries, it can be a challenge to make a team, as I'm sure both of you know. And um, obviously, that was a COVID Olympic. So I'm like, oh, I kind of really want to strive to try and make like a proper games, not one that's kind of doesn't really have the same feeling. 
So I'll go all in for that at the start of the season and see what happens. And then from there, I'll probably still mix the gravel and the road because obviously we also now have the World Championships for gravel and that's kind of getting bigger with every year. You can see more interest towards it. Like in the first year, everyone was a bit like, oh, no one's taking it serious. But then already you're seeing like, for example, like Van Aert, he did a race the other week and some of the other like big names are wanting to come do the gravel world. So I think that will be the target towards the end of the year. So you came from Australia you got you started on the road, um, kind of a, a new adapter, you know, at that time, what was that around 2019, getting into the gravel. But where would you, like that transition from road, full-time roadie to part-time gravel, uh, gravelier, graveler, I'm not sure of the term, but how did that come about? Because it, it is, they are two t- totally different worlds. And, and how do you kind of, put that into your phase plan that, okay, I'm going to do the, the Girodona and then I'm going to go on a little vacation and then I'm going to do a couple of weeks of, of gravel riding and then back to the road and then gravel and back to the road. How does that work? How, how do you plan that? And yeah, give us a little info of why you decided to do something like that. Yeah, it's definitely been learning with each year of how to best do it. And, you know, with each year we're learning, okay, that didn't work entirely, the balance of the road and the gravel or this worked better. Um, so basically the first introduction was 2019 where we had Tour of Colorado. The, I think it was a women's only one. And before that was the very first SBT and Canyon wanted a couple of our riders to do SBT. We were on strict instructions, not allowed to race the long one, not allowed to like take it serious. You're there for the sponsors, just have fun. So, okay, okay, okay. And then it was at the, my contract renewal, I think end of 2020, Ronnie Lauka, my team boss, he kind of sat down with me and, you know, I've been doing the sport a long time and also been with the team since we started in 2016. And he knows how I work and know that I sometimes need these new challenges. And there's a period there where I was trying to convince him to let me do mountain biking, but he never let bit on that idea. So then he proposed the idea for me to do the balance of road and gravel because he saw both the value to the sponsors for having a rider doing gravel and also for me as a rider to help kind of keep me on top of things and keep kind of renewed energy. So I was like, sure, sounds great. And then it's been, yeah, a mixture of working with the team and then also my personal management. They deal with a lot of the gravel side of things and just sitting down at the study and saying, okay, when do we want to do the gravel block? What races are there? Because at least until the last one or two years, everything was in the States. So it was very hard to obviously do like eight races in the US while also racing the Women's World Tour. So then we're like, okay, we'll block it, like do a block here, block there. And then I say my targets, like the classics are my favorite time of the year on the road. So then it's like, okay, 100% focus on the classics. And then after that, you need the mental break anyway. And doing the gravel, although it's hard, is a different mental energy and you know, it's that step away from the high pressures of the world tour. And so for me, it's almost quite nice for the mind to kind of go off and do the gravel. So it's kind of been how we've been balancing it. And yeah, and this year's been good because it's been like two solid stints in between like good roadblocks as well. It's just, yeah, the biggest thing is when I'm riding gravel is I just need to stay on top of like, you know, the more explosive efforts because otherwise when I come back to the road, you lose that racing gravel because gravel, it's more you're a diesel. It's just like going hard and long for a very long time. We'll be back after this short break. Now back to our chat with Tiffany. I actually have a question going further back a little bit. You obviously from Australia. Racing in Europe means you got to live there. 
at what age you went to Europe? And we had a lot of Australian male athletes. And they told us it was hard, leave the family, leave the country. You know, your closest friend lives 10,000 kilometers away. Um, how was it for you to come to Europe and live by yourself maybe? And you think it's different? Is it harder for a young woman to come to Europe and leave the family? I was just curious um, if you can explain that a little bit to, to us. Yeah, so I think I was very fortunate with the pathway that I had. Like, it was by no means easy, but I came through, well, my first trip was ever for the Junior Worlds in 2005. So I was 16, I guess, and that was in Italy. But back then we had a very good Australian national program based in Europe. It was based out of Italy. So I had, yeah, those two years and then already as a first year elite, because obviously women have no U23, or now they're trying to, but back then there was no such thing. I actually went to America first. I was invited by a US team out there to go and do some racing. And at the same time, I was with the national program. And yeah, we had a really good women's program that raced all the biggest races because back then there was no amateur and pro. It was like national teams can race a Girodona, can race Tour of Flanders, you know, all the biggest races. So I spent a couple of seasons living in the Australian house in Italy, you know, Of course, like it wasn't easy. Like back then it was when Skype was first introduced and it was like, okay, I or my very first year we had to go to the Indian shop to buy a cooling card and to the public phone to like cool our family back home. And, you know, obviously when you're 16, 17 years old, like first time leaving Australia properly and, yeah, I'd never lived by myself before. It was, you know, quite a big step. But being in like an Australian environment, I think that was really helpful. Because, you know, you have the comforts of other Aussies and we're all in it together. And, you know, we had coaches, we had physios, we had a team that we're always living with. Okay, it was a team house. And by the end of the season, you're ready to go home. But, yeah, from there, I had the opportunity to race against the best teams and then get spotted by them to then go professional. And But having that also the US part in there as well, that taught me also to race. Because it was like that level down from from Europe, but still a level up from Australia. So I had like the perfect balance. and. I just enjoyed the travel. I enjoyed the adventures and I just, you know, took with eyes wide open. And yeah, it was more latter years where I had like, you know, tougher years where either a bad team or a bad season. And when you're so far from home, when those things are happening, then it's more about having the friends around you and that support network wherever you're living, which obviously I've been fortunate to have first in Girona. And now I've been in Monaco since 2011 or that area. And yeah, I've developed a really good group of friends there and it's all kind of expats. So Like we're all in the same boat and have the ups and the downs. And yeah, being fortunate to have that kind of pathway to where I'm now. You mentioned something there that I think we need to touch on a little bit about the women's Peloton not having an under 23 category. But right now, the Tour de Avenir Femme is going on. Um, does seem like there is a gap going from junior to world tour teams. So what do you think about a race like the Tour de Avenir Femme, which is actually currently being led by a German, Jensi, yeah. Antonia Niedermeyer? Um, She won the opening time trial. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Is, is this the first step to the future of supporting women the way that men have been supported for so long? Yeah, like, you know, I've obviously throughout my career, I've seen a lot of progress in women's cycling and it's obviously been moving very quickly and taking big steps in more recent years. But you are seeing now there are a lot more steps because, you know, 
when I started, it was such a big jump. You went from juniors, especially if you're not from Europe, into the pro peloton, racing the best riders in the world, you know, as a national team rider. And it's like, okay, how am I supposed to compete with that? How am I supposed to even work out what bunch skills are and things like this? Then step by step, obviously, the introduction of the World Tour was a big step for women's cycling to have at least a step of that. And now you've seen, obviously, even with Kenyon Tran, we have our development team, which the idea of that is also getting riders from, like, smaller countries which don't have the pathway. So we have, you know, ones from Africa, South America. But this is where, for example, Antonia, and we have another really, really strong rider, Ricardo, who won a stage of the Tour de France Femme came out of so they spent a year in our development program to then go into our world tour team so you know so they got that year to kind of learn do bit smaller races like 1.2 races or national level races and then step up and obviously having something like the u23 tour de l'avenir you know obviously for the men it's always been a huge race and a race that many riders get their pro contract with it's a chance for them to kind of show themselves you know perhaps not having like the big big riders to race against but they're all strong in their own right but then you know they can actually show their abilities a little bit more and kind of be seen so I think it's definitely a step in the right direction but maybe we need like a U23 Nations Cup or something like that and because I think we're getting the numbers now whereas before we didn't really have such depth in numbers but I think bit by bit you're getting that and if national programs start to have U23 programs then that will help with the development or more pro teams having development teams it's it's things that are happening, but there still needs to be more of it, in my opinion. And um, just for our uh, viewers or listeners, and the Tour de l'Avenir for the women, it goes on the last day over the Col de Roseland. Bobby, and that's a serious climb. That's a big, big climb. I was, I looked at the stage and went, oh, these poor riders, Col de Roseland. <laughs> that's, that's a vicious climb. But um, yeah, Tiffany, I actually had written down in my uh, questions. If you would be talking about women cycling, if you would be UCI president for a day, what would you change if you would have the absolute power? What would you change? Oh, God, that's a tough one. There's lots I could change. I I think, or at least every women's team to have a development or some kind of feeder team, because that will help progress, like development within the sport. And maybe national federations have better grassroots. Because that's also where we're lacking now. Like, even with Australia, I've seen it, we had an incredible, like, development program for many years, and then things changed, and there was a lot of focus, you know, on track and some of these other events disciplines and then we kind of lost our whole road development now they're changing and realized oh actually now we have no younger riders coming through we need to do something about this but I think if you don't start from the very very bottom of the junior programs getting them into the you know where you need to be for the best races and then you know following the tiers like yeah if you don't start from the ground you can't build the rest of the tree totally totally agree there um yep you absolutely is where it's at Youth is where it's at. I mean, that's what got me into the sport. That got, got got all of us into the sport when we were young because it was it was fun, but it never felt like it was overreaching. Because my my dad actually once said to me, um, "You don't want to ride bikes with me and my buddies. You want to ride bikes with people your own age." And that's when he started taking me to the Red Zinger Mini Classic and then over to races in the Denver, Boulder, Colorado area. And all of a sudden, it wasn't just one lone wolf of the high country in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, where I was the only one under the age of 40, which 
back when I was 13, 40 sounded, sounded pretty old. Now it sounds very, very young. Um, riding his bike and then, yeah, just made it fun and made it a little bit more accessible, made it a little bit more normal. And those kids that do have that seem to progress at a better rate, seem to mature at a better rate. And then the, the others, sh dang, we, we would never know what we had or what talent we have unless we give them those programs. So I, I agree a, a, a thousand percent. But one other thing that I'm super interested in, because like you said, you've been around, you're an older stateswoman for road cycling, same for, for gravel. And you kind of put your money where your mouth is as far as starting an event yourself along with your boyfriend, Valtteri Botas, pardon, um, Amy Charity from Steamboat Gravel. You actually started the Finland Gravel Race. I think this year was the first year that you had it, but there was quite a impressive roster of riders that went to Finland to do this. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of that event and why you're kind of dabbling in, um, I would say, is it promotion uh, of, of, a, of a big gravel race? with your busy schedule? Yeah, so with that one, with Finland Gravel, obviously it came almost a little bit, not by accident, but like I got involved with it a little bit by accident. So it started with, obviously, I took Valtteri, my boyfriend, it was to SBT actually, was it two years ago, I think? Two years ago? I think, something like that. And he, oh, this was his third one, anyway. So, and he did an interview with Betsy Welsh for, at the time it was Velo News, and it came up, he would say, oh, one day I'd love to do a gravel race in my hometown in Finland, and obviously, I've now spent time there with him, and like, up there, like, the gravel is incredible, you know, there's so much great gravel roads up there, and I was like, yeah, that would be cool to have a race up there, and then Amy Charity got in touch, because she read the article, and obviously, they were looking to grow the SBT gravel brand outside of Colorado, and for us, we're like, oh, yeah. Well, actually, first it was only Valtteri involved and she had somebody else involved. And, you know, kind of just was born from that with the idea. And obviously they have such a great event already. People look at it as like one of the big, most exciting events to go to on the gravel calendar. And, you know, her and her team in the U.S. have done like an incredible job. So like for us, we knew it was a great person to partner with. You know, they know how to do it. And then we obviously have the contacts in Finland and obviously Valtteri and him, his hometown, like, you know, could open a lot of doors. So that's how the conversation started. And yeah, it was probably two years of planning before we finally were able to officially like do our first event. And yeah, obviously then I came into the picture and like we're fortunate we have a lot of people doing all the groundwork. So we're involved with some decision making and ideas, but they're doing a lot of that because as you say, like I'm busy with my career and he's busy with his career, but you know, to have our own event and to see so many people enjoy it and as a first year event, like went off, you know, amazingly. And we got lucky with the weather, because up there you never know if it'll be like pouring with rain or if it'll be beautiful sunshine and but it's something we hope to continue to grow. You know, it's obviously as you know, you get towards the latter parts of your career, you need other things to kind of go into eventually. So it's kinda of also setting up for the future. And yeah, it was just just fun to be a part of and obviously to be able to race it as well. And, and yeah, we want to make it bigger and better for years to come. Um, a little bit out of context question. Finland um, in Germany is famous for having millions and millions of mosquitoes in the summer. How was it? Did you experience it like that or you were lucky and you were somewhere else? 
I've definitely experienced the Finnish mosquitoes and I'd been warned because also in Lapland it's even worse apparently they say like they're as big as your head so we got one year up there where we were lucky but this year like you have the sauna because you're snow in Finland everybody does sauna and you sit outside to cool off and yeah it's mosquitoes everywhere so yes it's true in June it's still okay and we were lucky we didn't have so many so many mosquitoes but July August apparently it's a very small temperature range that they live at outside of that then they die but yeah if it's at that perfect temperature which often Finland will be in the summer then yes it's full of mosquitoes so bring your bug spray so this was the first time I mean I was at Steamboat Gravel last year but I never left the expo uh the Super Sapiens expo this year kind of bouncing around a little bit they had a uphill hill climb that had a lot of the guys and girls that were doing the race the next day race up in in costumes. I thought that was so great. Unfortunately, I had another commitment, so I wasn't able to watch it. Uh, Valtteri won the best costume competition, I think, hands down. There were some other good ones out there, but he was the Duff beer, beer guy. Do you guys at Finland Gravel have some fun event like themed like that that just gets people excited for the next day of racing i think in year two it's definitely going to be there like i think everybody loved that hill climb it was so much fun like everyone going to the spirit the costumes and in year one we didn't do that we used similar blueprint to what spt had but like this was the first year spt also included that costume hill climb and i think it's already on the cards for next year like we don't have as big a climb in finland but there is a pretty good one at the start we can use. So I think it will be, it'll be on the cards. So that sounds like you're going to go back there. Will that be like a future for our, a future project of you to become the race director of it, make it bigger, have different distances and you would becoming the race director of it. Is that something that you would ever consider? Um, maybe when I'm retired, perhaps when I don't have to ride my bike, <laughs> could, could be a nice way to see it. But for now I'm happy being like, Like I'm a co-owner of the company behind Finland Gravel, so I'm happy to be involved with it in that way. And yeah, the idea is to keep growing it and to be around for years to come and to expand to other destinations. That's like the next goal. And so we do want to make it like a global brand with like the same concept and take it to many continents, you know, because the great thing with the GRVL brand, it's like it's not only hard racing. We get top fields. We put good prize money up, but we make it inclusive. We have it for everybody so it's about having both the experience and also good hard racing that people want to come back year in, year out. So, so yeah, maybe I'd be the race director or maybe I still stand one level back, but to be involved, because I'm someone who's quite a creative person. Like I always come up with the the silly ideas that sometimes they're, they're good ideas. Well, talking about good ideas, you know, you've gone to, I'm sure, many Formula One events with your boyfriend. Um Have you picked up any ideas from Formula One that you think could translate into the world of either road cycling or gravel cycling? Let's face it, it's it seems to be a big party and people are super excited, but we need a little bit of that excitement. Is there anything that you've seen that can or will work in, in our world? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, obviously... Formula One, I think, is leading the way in terms of the balance of entertainment and, and sport. Um, they're fortunate they're in an arena. It's like the Super Bowl. You can do a lot of stuff if you're in one space. With cycling, that's how we struggle, where, you know, it's point to point. And, like, you have corporate hospitality, but 
yeah, I think bringing, you know, big names that people are excited to see, having like DJ music at the starts, it adds to the hype or to the finish. Um, you're already seeing cycling following certain things. Like, for example, they create their own Netflix series for the Tour de France. And, you know, now they're doing like the race radio communications, which obviously that's come straight from F1, like showing it live because for the people watching it, kind of brings them closer to to the people to the sport to understand it better I think that's really cool but yeah I guess trying to work out how to monetize cycling better because F1 does that extremely well um but cycling I think doesn't so much you know from shareholders of the teams to race organizations and everybody kind of it's still you know a bit spread out um there it's you know it's one one band and all the different people come underneath that but yeah, I don't know. That there's so much which you see that's like, okay, even technology, like cycling's always looking at the various technology, like from, you know, development with the aerodynamics and yeah, that sort of tech or the way you do the radio communications, things like that I've listened to. I was like, Oh, actually we could do that better within the team, like being more clear on the radio so you actually understand each other instead of like wind and whoosh, you know how it is. Like <laughs> you don't understand anything. So yeah. There's lots of things I've picked up here and there, but how we can translate 100% to cycling, still tricky, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, 10 times more of a budget in Formula One, a team has than a cycling team. So yes, there's definitely differences. Hey, when you're at the Formula One and you're watching this cars fly past, did it ever cross your mind, dang, I wish I could have a test ride in a car like that? Or you go, no, 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 it's way too fast for me. Oh, 100%, I'd love to. I, I like speed. So I've been fortunate to actually be a passenger a couple of times with Valtteri in a rally car. And actually for my birthday last year, he gave me like a driver F1 car experience. But it wasn't like their car. It was like an old one. But that was pretty cool. It gave you like a small sense of, but oh, I'd love to be able to see a passenger, like full tilt F1 car. And But there's not so many two-seaters going around. Do do you offer your boyfriend training advice? Because obviously it's so awesome seeing superstars from other sports jump on two wheels and actually enjoy it just as much, if not more, than we do. Um, is he is he picking your brain for recovery and fueling and training tips with all your yeah. experience that you've had over the years? Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. um, and as you say, like enjoys more than us. He definitely enjoys it more than me <laughs> every other day, um, which is nice. You know, he's got, got the bug and yeah, like even prepping for a race, like, okay, how should he structure his training? Like I can give advice there or, you know, how much fueling should we do? Like he's pretty switched on anyway. And he also gives me tips like more so because he looks at certain stuff aerodynamically and it's like, that's not aero, you know, like the shoes with the way they're made. Okay. That can be done better. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't think of that. So but yeah, from training side, then yeah, I often give him advice for, you know, things he can do or most of the time he's pretty just doing most of the stuff that I'm doing, but a little bit reduced. But yeah, getting closer to a race, then that's when I probably give a bit more advice or particularly how to race and get through the race. Because I guess that's where I have a little bit more experience. Did it ever happen you out on a ride together with your boyfriend and you just start racing each other? Like uphill or on a downhill, like just out of the blue, like looking at each other, smiling and just going? Or you go, no, 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 we keep it friendly in between us when we ride. As they're normally pretty friendly. Only, you know, a little sprint here and there, we'll have a joke. But he beats me hands down because he's actually super powerful from for a sprint. So even if I try to get the head start, he'll, for like 10 seconds, yeah. But 
most of the time we're pretty mutual and just enjoy riding our bikes. But mm, we're competitive, but normally with different things, not with our sports. And probably me more so. <laughs> like in a car game, I'll get more competitive than than him. Yeah, uh, we had we rode with Jimmy Johnson and some of his pit crew and, and buddies at a couple events, and I was blown away how good these guys can pick their lines and go on the descents. Like we can definitely um, take them to the woodshed uphill, but downhill, I was just like, yeah, these guys have a totally different gear. But back to you now, and and we're we're here almost at the beginning of September. Um, what does your calendar look like from here on out? I do want to talk about what you mentioned your, your last objective being, but do you have any more road races in between now and the gravel worlds that, that are going to be on your program? Yeah, I have a pretty busy calendar. Actually, I, I thought it was, as I said, I had the six week break and now it's actually back to back. Although I think we're taking out one race cause it's a bit too much. So I race a gravel world series. Italian race this weekend on Saturday and then already straight to Holland for it's called CMAC tour it's one of the world tour races six-day stage race so that's back on the road then I was meant to do Romandy but I think we're dropping that just because it's a bit too much and then I'll do the European gravel because it's actually an open event so non-Europeans can race it just can't take the jersey and then the world championships and then BWL Kansas just to add in an extra race because she wants to do it, so I'm being the supportive girlfriend that goes and races one more race, <laughs> and then holiday. And um, how long is it? What what's the distance for women at the World Championships? For a gravel? lot nicer than the American races. I think it's around 130k. You would need a little different training than for like a 200 mile event, right? I mean, 130 kilometer. That's got to be a lot more tactics, uh, change of rhythm going on. You know, and um, exactly. are you planning to bring a team there or are you all by yourself or because I heard that some teams, some people bring teams and help each other? Yeah, this is what was quite unique last year. So firstly, we are a separate race. So that already changes things. And I remember when I did it last year, I was suddenly like, ah, oh, this is going to be different to the gravel race I've experienced. And you saw the, well, our podium out being three mountain bikers, but You could tell the girls who come from the US, they were strong, but they didn't have the technical knowledge. That's what kind of caught them out a little bit. And then you had Team Italy who were a team and racing as a team because they were a bunch of road riders. So it was a very, very interesting dynamic in the race last year. And I'm fortunate that obviously I have the road skills and tactics is one of my strengths. So I could play that, but also understand how the gravel racing works. But this year is going to be interesting because you see like so many people like, oh, I want to race it even within our team, like half my teammates like, oh, I want to do Gravel Worlds. So I'm intrigued to see what kind of group we get, what kind of start. I think it will be a mixture of disciplines. We'll get the true gravel races. We'll get some roadies because obviously having the Road World Championships much earlier this year, people just want another thing to race. And, you know, will we get more mountain bikers? But But it is, it's, you have to think completely differently. Like I go there as an individual, I have support off the bike, like through both Canyon Tram and we'll see if any of the team bring anybody for me. But, you know, I'm used to doing gravel races pretty on my own, but this works so different because when I'm with the road, I'm normally like the road captain and making like a domestique. So I'm just, that's my job. Just look after the other girls, get it done and then tap out. Whereas I come to gravel, it's like, okay, I need to think about myself. How am I going to race this race? 
you know, so you do need to think about all the characteristics, but I enjoy that. And that's what's nice, like going to gravel and, but yeah, the, the world is always a little bit more unique. I think Europeans will probably be the same. So we'll get a good little warm up there to kind of see what everyone's doing, see which roadies can actually be good in the gravel and which ones aren't. And yeah, work out how to play my cards. How hard was it this year to not participate in the Tour de France Femme of Egg Zwift? I mean, you did it last year. You've been described as an indispensable teammate by your team manager and, and, and your teammates. Um, was that a, was that a voluntary decision and, or, or, or what? Because I mean, it, obviously that's the biggest race of the year on the road, but you're kind of playing both sides of the fence right now. Um, how did that, how did that whole situation work out? Yeah, of course, you know, like when you look at the Tour de France, Femme of Zwift and it's like, yeah, it's the biggest race of the calendar. Naturally inside, I think you want to be there because of course you always want to race the biggest races, but it was the team decision ultimately. And I think part of it was because I was doing the road and gravel program and like we've had new management come in this year, kind of doing things. And yes, we also have a much stronger team this year. So I think getting into the team was quite hard, but flip side, once I got to the point of when it was, I was quite happy to have a break because I'd just done, I think it was four gravel races in five weeks. And then back to back stage races. So I was pretty tired as well. But of course, you know, I did get to do the first women's Tour de France Fair Mavic Zwift last year. And that was, you know, such an amazing experience. We won the overall teams classification. We had Kazia third overall. So it was like a really, really nice experience to be part of. But yeah, when you're kind of watching, you see like there is so much attention. There's a race that you kind of want to be a part of. And then you'll be like, oh, it could be nice. But then yeah, I think this year, I don't think I was in the right condition to be racing it. So I also accept the team's decision not to be there. And so then I was able to kind of tap out, just kind of have some recovery and then focus on this next build into this like last part of the season. I remember last year's first uh, women's Tour de France. It was such a success. I think it took a lot of people by surprise. Like there were tons of people on the roadside, great TV ratings. It was fantastic. Same for this year though. Um, but um, back to you. So now you said you have a busy few weeks ahead of you, stage race in Holland, uh, gravel, and then holiday. What's a dream holiday for you look like? What would be your <laughs> dream holiday? And, and where would you have it? Well, dream holiday is going to probably a desert island somewhere away from everything. But no, um, reality is my holidays start when the Formula One season is still going. So it's when the flyways begin. So it's all the US and South American races. So for me, I kind of treat that as both, you know, obviously going there supporting Valtteri, but at the same time kind of enjoying time off. So we get to go to some cool places like we're in Austin, Texas, and then Mexico City, go down to Brazil. But then there is one small stint where we get like one week where it's between races and we go to Dominican Republic. So that is my idea of a holiday this year, um, to sit on a beach and Not very good at sitting still, so we'll probably still be, you know, running around or hiking or something like this, but just not touching bikes. Um, yeah, holidays is not touching bikes. <laughs> yeah, not touching bikes, not talking about F1 racing. You deserve it. Tiffany, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck with the rest of the season, Gravel Worlds, and, and especially that, that holiday, whenever that fits into the schedule. Thanks for having me and yeah, 
make sure you come to Finland Gravel next year if you want a great gravel race to go to. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Tiffany for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a value production in association with Shock Giraffe, and this episode was produced and edited by Mark Payne. Remember to check out the video version of this podcast by heading to the Outside Watch YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Just head to at Bobby and Jens and send your cycling questions to us. I tried to take the wrong colored hat after Steamboat Gravel this year. Tell us about the time that you accidentally tried to take something you shouldn't have. <laughs>